This podcast episode is brought to you by Creative Safety Supply, leaders in visual safety, floor marking, label printing, and more. Visit their website at www.creativesafetysupply.com slash leanpodcast for a special 10% listener discount. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 152 of my podcast for July 17th, 2012. My guest today is Matt Stewart. He is a fellow graduate of Northwestern University. Uh, he was there the same time as me in the mid-1990s. And while I was on the football field as a marching band geek, uh, Matt was a player on Northwestern's football team. And as his book, The Walk-On Inside Northwestern's Rise from Cellar Dweller to Big Ten Champ, describes, you know, Matt was part of an amazing transformation in the Northwestern football program with uh, a starting point of just decades of reputation, well-deserved reputation as being just a terrible and hopeless football program in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, Matt's journey from a walk-on to actually playing and contributing to the team mirrored a lot of the rise of Northwestern's football team to winning two consecutive Big Ten titles, going to the Rose Bowl. There are a lot of great lessons from this book. So it might seem a bit self-indulgent that I'm interviewing um, a, a football player from my alma mater uh, with, with a great story. Um, but there are really a lot of lessons about um, organizational transformation and leadership and lots of things that Matt has brought forward into his professional life. He's currently a morning TV news anchor in Kansas City, Missouri. And um, I think there are a lot of parallels to the challenges that we're facing in healthcare of trying to turn around seemingly insurmountable challenges related to quality and patient safety. I think there's a lot of inspirational stuff. So even though college football season is about six weeks away, um, this, this is more a discussion about leadership than football. And if you're not interested in sports, hopefully you'll still find something inspirational and interesting from the story here. So curious to hear your feedback. You can go to leanblog.org slash 152. Uh, to see links to Matt's book uh, and information about ordering it. For all past episodes, you can go to leanpodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Well, joining us today on the podcast is Matt Stewart. He's the author of a book called The Walk-On, Inside Northwestern's Rise from Cellar Dweller to Big Ten Champ. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Mark. It's a pleasure to talk to you and to your audience today. Yeah, and it's a real pleasure for me. Uh, you know, so listeners may or may not know that I was a student and a marching band member at Northwestern um, during a lot of the time that that you were there, Matt, as uh, a player on on the football team. So it's a, a real thrill to kind of recap the story and you know I think the inspirational tale of the turnaround in the program. So I'm really excited to have you share some of those stories and, and lessons learned with us. Uh, can, can you start off by, uh, Matt, introducing yourself, you know, where, where you are today, what you're working on, and then we'll step back and talk about those days at Northwestern. Yeah, no problem. Um, right now I live in Kansas City with my uh, wife and my three children. Um, I am the morning news anchor for KCTV 5 News, which is the CBS affiliate here in Kansas City. So I'm up at 2.30 every morning. <laughs> I'm on air from 4.30 until 7. I do the noon as well. Uh, so it ends up being long days, but uh, it's really enjoyable. And I'll tell you what, Mark, the things I learned at Northwestern, uh, being a part of that football team and, and the amazing turnaround that we were able to do, those are things that I apply to my professional life. And it's really allowed me to succeed 
you know, at a younger age than, than a lot of people in my same field. Uh, those ideals of teamwork and setting high goals and working hard, you know, and that's really why I wrote this book. It's, you know, hoping that people like you, like your listeners, that other people out there who read this will be inspired and see that even though sometimes, you know, things in life seem like they might be impossible, like Northwestern winning the Big Ten back in the 90s. I mean, no one thought that would ever be possible, and yet we were able to do it, you know. And, and yeah, I share a lot of those stories in there. Coach Gary Barnett, uh, he was the head coach for our football program, and uh, he did a wonderful, amazing job of motivating us and bringing us together as a team uh, and really a true testament to leadership and how important it is to have a, a really strong leader at the top, someone who understands teamwork and bringing people together. Uh, and I share a lot of those stories in my book. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of great stuff in there. I mean, it was for from my standpoint personally, it was fun to kind of reminisce and, and think back of uh, the, uh, the advances that the program made and, and that exciting Rose Bowl year. And in fact, it was two big, big ten titles in a row, two in a row that you uh, were involved in. Um, you know, tell us about you know the early days getting started. I mean, you, particularly being a walk-on for people who might not understand what what's involved there. Um, being, you know, for one, being a walk-on, and then secondly, joining a team where, you know, I'll tell you as a student, uh, you know, the, our expectations were low. The team won maybe two, three games a year, and, and that was, I think, in some people's minds considered okay because at least we're, we weren't losing every game uh, as, as they had for a couple years straight um, during the long, famous 30, oh gosh, I don't even want to say it, but 30-some game losing streak back in the day. What, what was that like signing up to have early mornings and all of that hard work that's involved in being in a football team? <laughs> you know, there's there's no tougher road than being a walk-on because you're not recruited. The coaches don't know who you are. They haven't watched film of you. So the expectations for you are extremely, extremely low. So you'd think the expectations for Northwestern to win were low. Think about being a walk-on at Northwestern. <laughs> I mean, the expectations were extremely low. Uh, you know, it is amazing because Northwestern went, you know, 20-plus years without a winning record. Mm -hmm. 1971 was the last time they'd had a winning record. I walked on in 1993. Um, as a high school senior, uh, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and as a high school senior, I wasn't recruited. I wasn't offered any scholarships. I was not even the best player on my football team. But I truly, truly believed in myself and my potential. I loved football so much, and it's one of those things, and I know all of you can relate to this, you know, when you love something so much and you don't want to give it up, and you're not sure if you're good at it or not, so you just want to test yourself. And that's kind of where I was at that point in my life. I was like, what have I got to lose? So Northwestern is the worst team in the Big Ten, so I walk on. What's the worst that can happen? I quit the team? You know, might as well try it. So I decided to walk on. Um, I called up. Uh, I had my high school coach call up uh, the coaches up there at Northwestern, and they were like, hey, you know, my, co my high school coach is like, hey, we can send you some tape of Matt. They're like, no, 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 we don't need to see tape. We just need bodies. Because <laughs> no one was walking on. I was one of three walk-ons my freshman year. And you think about some of the big programs like the Ohio States, the Nebraskas. I mean, they get hundreds of people that just try out to walk on because mm -hmm. everyone wants to play for them. No one wanted to play for Northwestern. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, looking at their record, I think it gave me hope, knowing, okay, if they're the worst team in the Big Ten, then the competition might not be as fierce as it would be if I was going to a Michigan or an Ohio State. So I had hope going in that I would maybe get an opportunity, that maybe the coaches would actually look at me, especially because there weren't a whole lot of players on the team. We had 100 players, but you know a lot of teams have 150 with the walk-ons. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, it was one of those things where I went in, and my expectations 
I mean, I, my dreams, my goals were high. You know, I wanted to play. I wanted to earn a scholarship. I wanted our team to win. And I just kind of was naive. I didn't want to look at reality, the reality of the situation. And Northwestern had such a long history of losing. So, I mean, looking at the cover of the book here, you, you, your goals weren't so high to have those two championship rings that are pictured there. I mean, everyone dreams that, oh, sure. you know, but I don't think when you go in as a freshman, you know, especially as a walk-on, you're not so worried about the team winning as much as survival, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, you want to survive the, the, the conditions there of being a walk-on and earn the respect of your teammates, and you figure that winning is going to come later. What's amazing, and I know you, know you read this in the book, is that we had so much talent on our team. I mean, we had some really good players. We had the All-Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, Lee Gissendainer, a receiver, mm-hmm. was on our team. So we had the tools to win. You know, and you think about in your job site, you know, uh, you've got people who are really good at their job. But if you've got other people there on the jo- uh, at your workforce or, you know, on our team that, you know, have bad attitudes that kind of bring everyone else down and, you know, they're kind of destroying that concept of teamwork, then what happens? You don't win. And so that was kind of the lesson I learned right away, is that, hey, we had the tools to win. We had really good players. Our starters could compete with every other team in the Big Ten. But we had so many negative attitudes and so many selfish players, people just playing for themselves, not caring about anyone else but themselves. And it really destroyed the fabric of the team, and it really prevented us from winning more games than we did. Well, and, and, and there are a lot of parallels, I think, to organizations that – you know, go and hire incredibly talented individuals from from top schools, and yet the organization as a whole is struggling or not meeting its customer needs. Or, you know, in the case of, of hospitals, you know, it's hospitals full of uh, incredibly well-trained doctors and nurses are, are far too often harming patients because of, you know, some of the things you talk about, you know, bad, bad systems, um, lack of teamwork, lack of, of leadership. So I'm, I'm curious, you, you mentioned, you know, that idea that that leadership starts at the top. Talk about your experiences with head coach Gary Barnett. I, I believe when you joined the team, he had uh, just his first season under his belt. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. his second season. Come in the uh, coach Barnett's second season. And, you know, being around the team a lot, um, there was a slogan, uh, and in fact, I still have a, a pin with this slogan on it in, in a drawer here. Gary Barnett started talking about expect victory, and he had, you know, big banners printed and put behind the end zones, and it was sort of a, a marketing slogan. Um, was that something just for external focus, or how, how much of that concept was talked about within the team? That, you know, first off, we need to expect that we are going to go out in the field and win. How, how did that attitude sort of take shape? I mean, isn't, first of all, isn't it a great slogan? <laughs> I mean, expect victory. I mean, it's as simple as that, mm-hmm. you know, because I think we had expected to lose for so long. And you think about the attitude, your, your approach, you know, every single day when you've got it, you know, your teammates are approaching it, well, we're going to lose anyway, so what's the big deal? You know, ah, who cares? So I missed that tackle. Who cares? We were going to lose anyways. So it wasn't just, like an external slogan to kind of rally the fan base. I mean, this is something that he really wanted to change within the, the team, to have everyone expect victory. And when you think about expecting victory, you think about all the hard work that goes into it, and then the mental part of it. I mean, mental, I think when you think about college football, you know, you can't underplay the mental aspect of that. It's so important that you approach every game and every play with the right attitude, which is, I'm going to win this play, and we're going to win this game. So no matter what obstacles you face, you know, even if, you know, we talk about short-term memory in the secondary. I played safety uh, on the defensive secondary. And we talk about, hey, if you get burned for a touchdown, you've got to forget about it. You can't 
keep thinking about that because what happens is you're so busy thinking about it, they're going to burn you again. So you have that short-term memory, that short-term focus. And I think when you think expect victory, when you go in expecting to win, then you don't let those things bother you. You know, something bad happens, it's all right. We're going to rebound because I expect to win. You know, and that's something that I take into, into my workplace every single day. You know, we, as a broadcast journalist, we are so dependent on the ratings. You know, who's watching us? Who's watching us compared to the other stations? And maybe one morning uh, when I'm anchoring, you know, the ratings will be kind of low. And you can't get all caught up in that and lose your self-confidence on that. You've got to stay focused. And now, you know what? It's fine. I expect our ratings to rise. I expect our ratings to be really good. And so I expect my performance to be top-notch. And so it helps you, you know, come to work every single day with that energy and that positive attitude. And it was that, bringing that to the football team every single day, that helped us turn it around. And it sounds like that attitude leads to resiliency. If, uh, if you have a one bad game that the whole season um, isn't going to fall apart with uh, if players get discouraged or, or give up, as, as you see happen sometimes with, uh, with college teams or even, even some pro teams, perhaps. Um, I'm, I'm curious here a little bit more, you know, with, with that attitude that Coach Barnett was trying to bring into the team. Um, were, were there things that he did to try to turn around attitudes? You, you mentioned in, in your write in the book some of the attitudes of the seniors who had been recruited by the previous coach and had a number of losing seasons and were maybe ready to just say, okay, to heck with it. I want to graduate and you know, have my great degree from, from Northwestern and move on. Um, did he try to turn people around or was it a matter of just recruiting um, and, and letting a couple of years take its course? You know, when you look at the recruiting rankings, you always see height, weight, you know, your speed in the 40. I don't think there's usually a star rating put to a player's attitude. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, the talent was maybe getting a little bit better. I mean, did you, did you get a sense that they tried recruiting for attitude as much as uh, physical skills? Yeah, I think Coach Barnett learned that the hard way because even my freshman year, the best recruit, the best freshman on our team was a wide receiver from California who came in and was just burning. His name was Eric Scott. Yeah, I remember the there were really high expectations, uh, excitement for oh, him. Oh, yeah. yeah. The kid could flat-out play, and he helped us freshman year. I mean, he was returning kickoffs, and he was, you know, catching passes, and he helped us win one game, uh, one of the two games we won my, my freshman year. But his attitude was terrible. Hmm. I mean, he was just always negative, and he, didn't, he loafed in practice, mm-hmm. and that just rubs off on people. And that was the same with the seniors. The seniors were so used to losing but, you know, they were kind of like, why put in the effort when we're going to lose anyway? I'm just going to coast. And that kind of negative attitude can rub off on the rest of the players so easily. So Coach Burnett really needed to get rid of those players. And, in fact, Eric did leave after freshman year. And I think through that, Coach Burnett realized, hey, I need to get players that are all on the same page with this positive attitude. Because you're right, no matter how talented you are, if you come in, you know, being all selfish and thinking only of yourself, yeah, maybe that person will have a lot of success, but the team as a whole is going to continue to fail. And that's what happened our freshman and sophomore year. The team continued to fail, even though we had these, these really talented players. It's, it's tricky, because you're right. You, know, you almost wish they had those uh, attitude ratings when it comes to that, because you want to find these athletic, these talented football players, but who will come in with the team concept and put the team above themselves and realize you know, it's more fun to win than it is to, you know, become all Big Ten but have a losing season. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and thinking back to, you know, the style of play, I'm, I'm curious to ask a little bit, you know, there, there's certainly, there's questions of, of talent. And like you said, there were talented players on, on the team before 
um, Coach Barnett got there. Um, attitude and, and leadership was important. You know, unlike maybe the team that went to the Alamo Bowl, the Northwestern team in 2000, that was one of the innovators with the spread offense or, you know, having something, you know, incredibly innovative on the field. Um, you know, the Northwestern's teams, uh, 95, 96, ran pretty fundamental formations. There wasn't anything flashy or, or, or tricky or gimmicky going on. Um, what, what was going on on the field, maybe on the practice field or, or, or during games, you know, to try to have that uh, positive attitude, not just be a slogan? How, how did that translate um, on, onto the field? Well, I think a lot of it comes in preparation to begin with. So you think about a football team. I mean, it starts in the weight room and it starts in the off-season conditioning programs. And it starts with kind of bonding people together. So, you know, you have your morning practices where everyone's suffering. You know, you make everyone run to the point where people are throwing up. I mean, all that preparation kind of goes into it, and it bonds you as a team when you see the person next to you is working just as hard as you are. And so I think that that stems from leadership, from the coaches. Um, You know, if they saw someone loafing, um, they would get on you. You could be the star player, and if you're loafing, the coaches would get on you. I'll never forget we were um, we had a team meeting at 3:30, and we're all in the auditorium. And Coach Burnett starts talking, and one of our star players—I I, I'm not going to say who it is—but one of our star players walked in three minutes late. And Coach Burnett's in the middle of mm. talking to all of us, and we're all sitting there going, "Ooh, what's he going to do? This is a star player. Yeah. He could easily say, have a seat, and keep going.' Uh, but no, Coach Barnett got really upset and kicked him out and said, "Get out of here." Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't going to make exceptions for star players. Everyone was equal in his mind. You know, the expectations were the same for every single person, whether you were the star or whether you were the walk-on. And so I think it really stemmed from the coach's attitude toward us that, hey, you know, we have certain expectations of you. You know, we come back to that word expect again. Mm-hmm. We expect this from each and every one of you as far as effort is concerned. You know, some people are going to rise above. Some people are more talented than others. That's just the nature of the beast. But if everyone is giving 100%, and, and doing what it takes for them to succeed. The team as a whole is going to succeed. And so, yeah, I think it was really those off-season conditioning programs that really kind of bonded us and helped turn the team around to where, you know, it came to the fall season. We were in those games. We were facing adversity. And we knew we could lean on each other because we trusted each other. We had all given 100% to each other. Well, there's an interesting parallel i think sometimes you talk about that star player and and how people are being treated you know within hospital world there are star players on the team that might be uh you know some really world-renowned surgeon or or any surgeon for that matter um who may be arriving late for uh surgery prep or for the procedure itself and you know hospital leaders have you know similar dilemma that uh you know a, a coach on a team might have of saying well Huh, you know, here's a problem. Do I suspend that player for a game knowing that that might that might hurt us, but it's the right thing for the long term of the team? You know, hospital executives are, are placed in a similar situation of, well, do I need to just look the other way? Because, you know, if I if I come down on that surgeon, they might choose to take their work and their patients someplace else. And, and, and there's a lot of interesting leadership dilemmas um, that 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 seem to parallel some of the stories that you had there uh, from your time on the team. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I understand, you know, when you get into this business world and when you've got that star surgeon, but that star surgeon has a negative attitude and is really affecting the work of everyone else. You know, it's a tough decision to balance because I think ultimately leadership has to decide what they want. You know, if you're in charge of a hospital or, you know, you're a director 
uh, you're a manager and you're running this this operation, you have to decide what's most important, you know. And if you see that one person, no matter how talented, is alienating everyone else, you are never going to be as strong as if you have someone who might be a little less talented but comes with a positive attitude and kind of rallies and bonds everyone together. It, I cannot underestimate or, uh, you know, talk more. T- I can't talk enough <laughs> about the importance of teamwork in everyday life. And I don't, you know, I don't see it either. I mean, I go to my work and I see people getting preferential treatment and people with bad attitudes, and it, it destroys the fabric of your workplace. It really does. And, and it, people do not reach their potential when they're surrounded by negativity. So it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're surrounded by this negativity and you come to work with a negative attitude every day, you're never going to reach your potential as you could if you're excited to come to work and people are in a good mood and everyone's rallying around each other. So it's, it's tough. It's a tough decision, and it's hard to lose really talented people. But ultimately, if, if you know, building a really strong team is your goal, sometimes it's addition by subtraction. Well, I would imagine in, in your role, you're not the general manager of the station, uh, assume you're not the news director, but being uh, one of the anchors uh, on air, I'm sure is somewhat of a, a star performer role within a team. You've got, I don't know how many people working behind the scenes uh, to make that newscast happen. Um, I, I, I assume from these lessons, you, you realize you're in a situation of having to be positive and, and be a good example or, or be appreciative for the team that you're a part exactly. of, that it's not, not all about you being on air, right? Yeah, it's about lifting up your teammates, you know, letting them know that they're doing a really good job. And it's through gaining their respect through that, knowing that, you know, they respect you, that if something goes wrong, then you can take them aside and have a little conversation. And they, they you know, they, they respect that conversation, and you become better from that. But if you come in all diva-ish, and, you know, I'm the, I'm the star here, you know, come on and start screaming at people all the time and, you know, have this negative attitude, they're not going to work for you. And in fact, they're probably going to find ways to make you fail. There's going to be that undermining going on, which is exactly what was happening on our team. You know, a lot of the backups were undermining the team and and trying to make sure that we failed because, you know, they had that negative attitude from the star players who had the negative attitudes rubbing off on everyone. So we're talking about motivating people. Um, One story that you tell in the book, and I know there's, there's a lot of Great stories. Coach Barnett, you know, among other things, it seems like just a real master motivator. He came uh, to a marching band practice one Thursday night and told the story uh, about a well and, and priming the pump. And I tell you, we were all ready to go run through a wall for the guy. Um, <laughs> after hearing this, I can't imagine being uh, you know, around that all the time. Can, can you kind of re- recount or, or tell that story um, that, that Coach Barnett used and what kind of impact that had on, on you and the other players? Well, he could, def- he could definitely tell it better than I can. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys are going to be running through a wall when I tell you this story. But it was, it was an amazing motivational story. In fact, it was the theme of our sophomore year. He had a pump at the top of the hill, and after practice, we were supposed to touch it, and on the way to practice to touch it, just as a reminder. Uh, but the story goes is that uh, in the way co- – I'll just tell it in the first person because that would make it easier to tell. Sure. Um, but basically, um, you know, me and a couple friends, we went – we were walking through the woods. It was a really, really hot day, and we got lost. And we forgot to bring water with us. And it was so hot. I mean, we were just dying of thirst. And we were walking along, and we ran across this old well uh, that was just sitting there. And so, you know, we started pumping on it. We started pumping on it. And then whenever I'd get tired, my buddy would jump in, and he'd start pumping. He'd start pumping. And then whenever he'd get tired, our third buddy would jump in, you know. So our third buddy's pumping away, pumping away. We're exhausted. We can't pump anymore. And he's like, 
okay, I'm done. I can't, I can't pump this anymore. I'm done. You know, and he stopped pumping. And we're like, no, 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 don't stop. Don't stop. You've got to keep going. He's like, why? He's like, don't you get it? Because it's an old well, all that pumping, the water is slowly, slowly coming up. But the minute you stop pumping, that water goes straight down to the bottom as fast as it can. And then we're going to have to start all over. You've got to keep pumping. So he kept pumping, he kept pumping, and he's about ready to pass out. And finally, the water starts flowing through this pump. And all of a sudden, he barely has to touch the handle. And the water is just flowing easily. It doesn't take any effort. And the moral of that story, when you think about a team, is it is hard work. It is hard work. It was hard work turning around our program and getting it to be a winning team. You know, we had lost for so long, and people were pumping and pumping, and then they'd quit and say, oh, you know what, forget it. And we'd go back to the bottom. And the whole point was that no matter what, no matter what adversity we faced, no matter how many times we lost, we had to keep pumping, we had to keep priming that pump, because eventually when we turned it around and we started winning, just like the water flowing out, just how easily it was to pump down. That's how easy it is to win games when you begin to win. Was that okay? Yeah. Are you ready to run through the wall for well, me? No, <laughs> no, it's such a great story. And I'm just thinking about you know listeners and, and people that are in workplaces where they're trying to turn things around. And, and I know from people that... Um, you know, it, it, it's so tempting to, to, to give up and say the, the well is dry, let's move on. Um, how, to, how to summon up that, that inner strength or a leap of faith that uh, the pump is, is not dry. And I want one of um, Coach Barnett's other expressions, uh, if, I, if I have this right, is belief without evidence. Yes. Yeah. Uh, can, you, can you just maybe share something uh, you know, to, you know, to that yeah, short you know, you expression make a really good with point. that? Mm -hmm. You make a great point because you're right. Like, for instance, when you're pumping that, that pump, I mean, you can't see the water. You can't see how close you are to that water finally coming out. I mean, you don't know. So it is faith. It's belief without evidence. It's that faith that if I keep pumping that pump, the water is going to flow. And it's tough when you look at, you know, a team like Northwestern that had 22 straight losing seasons. Well, 24 by the time we hit 1995, which is when we started winning. So we had had... 20-plus years of losing seasons. And here comes this new coach saying, trust me, trust me, have faith in what I'm about to say. There's no evidence there that this is necessarily going to work because obviously we've tried a lot of things over the last 20-plus years and we continue to lose. But if you have that faith, if you have that, you know, the belief without the evidence and just go and do what I tell you, run through walls for me, you know, keep pumping, then we will win. You know, so we had to trust, we had to buy in. Every single player on that team had to buy in that their effort was going to pay off in the end. And we, we couldn't see. No, I mean, we had our goal of going to the Rose Bowl winning the Big Ten. But realistically, I mean, if you had pulled us before the 1995 season, I don't know how many people would have said with confidence, we are going to win the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. I think we knew we were going to be good, and we knew we were going to win, and we knew we were going to go to a bowl game. But were we going to go 10-1 and one in the regular season and go play in the Rose Bowl on national television? I don't know if anyone ever really, truly believed that. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that we had faith that Coach Barnett's methods were going to work, and the proof is in the book. <laughs> the proof is in history. It did yeah. work, and we did well, play in the Rose Bowl. Well, I imagine part of that attitude, even if it wasn't, that belief wasn't there with absolute certainty, the culture was one where people 
weren't allowed to say things like, well, you know, we're only going to win four games this year. or There's no way we can ever. I mean, it's not like that sort of negative talk at least was drummed out. Right. You know, one of the slogans we had, um, Coach Barnett had a motivational speaker come and talk to us three years in a row. A uh, guy's name was Steve Musso. And the very first day he met with us, you know, he's looking at this defeated bunch of guys who have never won. And he said, you rarely, if ever, exceed your own expectations. And it took me a while to understand what that means. You rarely, if ever, exceed your own expectations. His point being, if you set low goals, well, you're probably just going to reach that goal and that's it. Like, set your goals high because that's where you want to reach. You want to reach for the stars. And you know what? If you come up a little short, you've still exceeded probably your wild expectations before you set that goal. So that's something that I've taken into my personal life. You know, my goal is to be uh, a morning anchor on the national, on the Today Show. You know what I mean? That's my goal, my ultimate goal. Will I ever reach that? I don't know. But because that's my goal, I'm working really, really hard toward that goal. Mm-hmm. And so when, Co- when Co- Steve Musso said that, Coach Barnett put up a list of goals, and our goal at the top was to play in the Rose Bowl. That was it. Before the 1995 season, he had it up on the board. He said, we are going to the Rose Bowl. But you can't get there until you practice hard. You know, so we had to take those steps up to that goal because our ultimate goal was there. It allowed us that opportunity to dream about it and to eventually reach it. Well, and it's, it's, it's such a great story um, for you know, having been through it as a fan and, and somebody at least kind of close to the, the program as a marching band member. You know, my, um, my, one, one of my takeaways from it was that, you know, like you said, you know, people expected the team was going to be good in 1995. You know, that's where it was that year. You all went to the Rose Bowl uh, was right when I had graduated and I was, you know, just out in the working world. And I, I worked with a lot of people who went uh, to University of Michigan and, uh, you know, we talked before the season and like, oh, you went to Northwestern. You must not care about football. And, you know, the fan, you know, the people in, in the Big Ten have you know, such negative attitudes about Northwestern. And I would say, well, you know, I think you know, the, the team's getting better. And they're like, yeah, but they only win three games a year. But I could see, you know, having, you know, being there for every game and you know, with the band uh, not leaving early. I mean, we were there and you know, we were you know, very committed to uh, cheering on the team and, and being supportive. But you could see, even though the win loss record wasn't really changing that the team was getting better. And, you know, you had to, you had to look at more than just the win loss performance measure. You could see, well, instead of being out of the game by halftime, they were actually, you know, holding close with Ohio state going into the fourth quarter. And he still lot, you know, there was still a loss, but you could see the progress that was, that was taking place. And you know, a lot of times people say, you know, an overnight success story is always many, many, many years in the making. Um, yeah. I think that's for, for why, as, as a fan uh, and, and a, an alum, it wasn't as shocking to me because it was you could see the progress, and then suddenly, boom! People saw it as an overnight success. That it wasn't a fluke. You, you, you were able to repeat that success um, the next year, um, going to the Citrus Bowl and, and playing Peyton Manning. Um, you now, that that was one of my key takeaways: is that sometimes, if you're just looking at the final score, it, it's easy to not see the progress. You have to look kind of deeper than just the uh, the, the the standings, looking at the Big Ten standings. Yeah, I mean, look at how we played our sophomore year, because you're so right. Even though we ended the season 3-7-1, um, and one, uh, you know, three wins, seven losses, uh, we still, we were losing close games. Yeah. I think the thing that really gave us confidence 
um, and you know I detail this in the book, is you know our star running back Dennis Lundy, who broke all the Northwestern running you know back records, mm-hmm. rushing records. Uh, you know he ended up getting kicked off the team because he was gambling money for us to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fumbling intentionally. You know he star. I mean he played almost every play that season, and so all of a sudden we're sitting there thinking, wow. If he had been playing for us, right. how many games would we have won? And so because of that, we realized, oh, we can play with these guys. We should have won more games. And so going into the off season, we were working even harder saying, you know what? We are going to win those games because this year we're going to have a running back, Darnell Autry, who's not going to be playing against us. He's not going to be gambling against us. He's a teammate, and he's going to be playing for us. And it's it's such a great story. Uh, the the transformation, you know, fully said from the days of, of selfish players and, and people actively, you know, unfortunately and sadly working um, against the team to to see and, and to recount uh, to hear your recounting of that turnaround and that culture change within the Northwestern program to where you know now seventeen years later. Uh, the fans and, and I'm sure the players uh, under Coach Pat Fitzgerald, who was a teammate of yours on, on those great teams, they expect victory. And um, it's just you know amazing to see how their expectations um, certainly are, are higher every year. And um, you were just uh, in- incredibly proud that um, Northwestern um, you know, doesn't have that Chicago Cubs lovable loser. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, aura around it anymore. Um, that that you and all the players on those teams played such a big part in that turnaround. Um, I, I admire what you did, and thank you for all of that hard work, and, and thank you for recounting it uh, in in your book. Again, for the listeners, the title is "The Walk On Inside Northwestern's Rise from Cellar Dweller to Big Ten Champ." It's available in Kindle format and uh, in, in paperback form. I'm highly recommended, even if you're not a Northwestern fan. I, I think there are a lot of great life lessons and leadership lessons. Um, and, and thank you for sharing a lot of those with us here on the podcast um, today. Matt, do you, do you have any final thoughts or advice in terms of um, other lessons or, or ideas that you would want to share in closing? Yeah, well, first of all, um, the easiest way to get the book is just to go to uh, mattstewartbooks.com. If you go there, then you can, you know, order any form. Okay. Uh, and, and the lessons learned, what you said, are so true. I think the final thought I want to leave your listeners is if there's anything, anything that can come out of this, you know, when you read this book, what the, I think the main thing you're going to get is hope. And I think that's the most important thing in life is hope, you know, because so many of us get into situations in our lives where there is, it doesn't seem like there is any hope. We feel like, you know, we're just surrounded by this negativity that we're never going to succeed, we're never going to win. I mean, all of us face that in our lives. But the fact is, is that if you truly believe in yourself and truly believe in your abilities, no matter what the odds, and work hard every single day and keep those goals set really, really high and keep working toward those goals, no matter how low it gets in your life, you will have hope that you can turn it around, whether personally, professionally, you know, in the workplace, if you're a director, I mean, there, there's always got to be hope because when there's no hope, that's when you get into a 20-plus year losing streak. You know, Coach Barnett brought hope to our team, and we bought into it. We, we bought into it as a team, and as you'll read when, you, when uh, your listeners read this book, you're going to see these stories that help turn us around, and we continue to have that success winning two Big Ten championships. So, Mark, thank you so much 
for uh, reading my story, for being inspired enough to ask me to talk on your podcast, and hopefully uh, I've been able to inspire some of your listeners out there today. Well, I, th I think you definitely have. So, uh, Matt, thank you so much. Real thrill uh, to talk to you today, and, and good luck with um, all of your work and uh, with your family. Uh, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Mark. You too. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.